over the course of human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. As we transition, this will be the way it is every Sunday night. Nancy will join me an hour before to do a potpourri of different uh, events taking place in the tri-state area and beyond that require a deep dive. Uh, a uh, need uh, to explore as an e-attorney, come up with answers. And then immediately we flip into the Animal Welfare Hour, which will be syndicated nationally as of February by our parent company, Red Apple Media, our owners and operators, John and Margot Casamitidis, and the president of the company, Chad Lopez. Uh, So let's get right down to it, Uh, Nancy. Uh, first up, uh, they have a listing uh, in which they say there are the 10 best uh, rated pets uh, that you can keep in the house. They can become a member of your family. They can become your best bud. Can you give us an idea of what some of them are? Okay, so obviously we have the the usual suspects, right? Cats, cat and dog. Those are respectively uh, one and two. Now, they say there's more... Um, households that own dogs, so that makes them the number one pet. Although I think there's probably more cats in the cat households, so I think there may be more cats that are physically owned. But you can tell the dog owners because <laughs> the dogs, uh, they have to walk them outside. So like, like today when we were walking around, actually it was yesterday when we were walking around when we had a few snowflakes out there and we thought we'd actually get snow for the first time in two and a half years we must have seen like a dozen people walking their dogs. You never see cats unless they're in a window. So you have really no idea how many cat lovers there are as opposed to dog lovers. And then there are people who have both dogs and cats together. Yeah, ex- exactly. So I think, um, you know, but again, in, certainly in New York City, there's a higher prevalence of people who have cats. I think it's an easier pet to own. Um, and then so like, you know, and then some of the other ones... Uh, fall into, I guess, a little bit more of like the call it like the rodent family, right? So guinea pigs, um, believe it or not, rats as well. That's a that's a little bit of a popular pet for some people. Wait, wait, wait a second, rats? <laughs> We're going to be talking uh, about that up next. Uh, Eric Adams, uh, the figures have come in. We have eight percent more rats now than when he first became mayor, even though he spent mega millions of dollars to eliminate them. But you, we're talking about like rats you would buy in a pet store, right? Yeah. So there's so apparently there's like over fifty species of rats, but only one is uh, kept as a pet. It's like a domestic uh, brown rat. So that's the only one that you would see people keeping as a pet. So I guess the other varieties are considered like wild rats. Like you you wouldn't see people maintaining them internally. I would bet you. I mean, I've seen some pretty weird stuff. Uh, Bernard Getz, who you know, the subway gunman, uh, would uh, befriend squirrels in Union Square Park and would actually have squirrels in his apartment near 6th Avenue and 14th Street, some of whom were injured in the park. He would take care of them and then bring them back, but others that he would keep in his apartment. Now, that's a pretty um, different kind of a pet to have in your apartment. I would bet you we got to really research this. I would bet you there are people who capture the regular street rats, the subway rats, and may actually have them in a cage in their apartment and domesticate them. Well, you know, and and this is part of what you would consider, right? It's like that, that terminology they use, uh, even with cats. They call them feral cats. Well, the idea is you're supposed to distinguish between outside cats and internal domesticated cats, but there's so much of a crossover because so many animals that live outside in in urban environments like New York City, they come into contact with people so frequently from the time that they're born 
that you don't have that sort of wild relationship. It's something very different. I've seen people, when rats are doing the horror and the tarantella and the cryptants in the tracks of the subway system, actually feed the rats down there. Well, they'll throw little breadcrumbs and whatever. I've seen you do that from time to time, Nancy. I mean, you can't help but feel sorry for, for them scurrying around for looking for food in the subway. It's, it's disgusting. I feel bad being there myself. But I got to believe that there are people who have captured rats, which you could do. You know, obviously, if you had a, a cage and you put food, some rats would go in there. They take them home and they would befriend them. That, that would be I, I've never known of that myself. Well, think you got to believe in a city of eight and a half million people that there are some people out there doing that. Well, sadly, I mean, think how many, um, you know, rats are used. I mean, I know mice, right? But like rats, they're used in experiments. So you have people who work with them all the time. They befriend them. You know, I think they, you know, they're, they have working relationships with them. Remember the guy up in the projects in Harlem? He had a tiger and an alligator in the apartment. Big, mature, adult tiger and an alligator he kept in the bathtub and would be crawling around in the apartment and people knew that for years and didn't say jack dilly squat i guess they figured once he got released from jail he would turn that tiger on him it was recently the anniversary of that yeah it certainly doesn't sound like someone uh normal so yeah you might be a little hesitant to get involved with anything Imagine having a fully grown tiger in your apartment in the projects in Harlem and an alligator in the bathroom. I mean, we're not talking a little three-inch alligator. You know, you just brought up on a trip from Florida. We're talking about like a six-foot alligator. Well, surprisingly, that happens a lot with with a lot of these aquatic-type animals. People do get them. For some reason, there's a this market for selling these little baby uh, aquatic animals, turtles, things like that. When you get them, you don't realize how quickly they can grow. So, you know, right away, out of your little fish tank, you can't have a 50-gallon. It's like too much, 100 gallons. So the bathtub is the next best choice. So what are some of the other more desired animals to have as family members, friends, and pets that you would keep in your home or your place of business? Let's see, you've gone through uh, dogs and cats. You've gone through rodents uh, like... um, uh, well, and also like guinea pigs, that, you know, right? Guinea pigs, that. and then uh, like white rats. I guess that's what I've seen. Sometimes people will have white rats uh, that they like to play with and befriend. Uh, and any other in particular? Now, one of the the fish, right? Because obviously a lot of people like to uh, to have fish in their home. So the betta fish, right? Now, now those are the ones that are really beautiful. You see them a lot, a lot of times in the pet stores. Those are the ones that will be kept by themselves. And, you know, that, that the idea would be because they're fighting fish, so people would be concerned about maybe having more than one. But that's not the case. If you have two females or if you, you know, so or if you have like just maybe one uh, male, one female, and they can be with other types of fish. So the betta fish is a, a popular one because it lasts longer time than a goldfish. And it's, you know, it's a very beautiful looking fish. Like people find it very desirable just visually to have that. Well, it's nice before it bites you and kills you. What about piranha? <laughs> From the Amazonian uh, jungles. That, that didn't make the list, but uh, uh, bearded dragons did, which actually I think are great. I love bearded dragons. Wow. Now, next story. This is the big one. This really caused problems at City Hall. Rich Calder, reporter for the New York Post, called me up. I think it was Friday night. No, it couldn't have been Friday night. Thursday night. Going in a Friday morning. And Nancy goes, you're taking a call at like 2 in the morning from a reporter? I said, look, I'm like lens lights. Reporter calls? I respond. He's from the Wall Street Journal. He's from the New York Post. He's done a lot of great writing. And he asked me, what did I think of the fact that the yearly stats have come in? And that Eric Adams, who has spent mega millions of dollars to combat rats, hired a rat czarina for $155,000 a year, and then the rat population has actually grown by 8%. So we actually have more rats than we had before. And I just want, for everybody listening, try to understand 
that if there is one topic that the mayor is obsessed with, it's rats. I hate rats. 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 I hate rats. I hate rats. I hate rats. I hate rats. Let me tell you how scared I am of rats. The rats may be listening. I'm terrified of rats. All of you are scared of rats, too. I had a real rat infestation. Rats are everywhere. We were feeding rats. Those rats use it as perfume. Trust me, you got rats. We were creating an environment where rats felt comfortable. See one scurrying down the block. We want to get rid of rats. We're going to kill rats. Kill some rats. I'm killing rats. Called me a murderer because I was killing rats. Kill rats. And you see a rat and say, okay, you guys failed. The guy blackmailed me. He said, I know you're scared of rats. Rats do not run the city. Rats don't run our city. You can be the rat czar. Fighting crime, fighting inequality and fighting rats fighting rats if you're not scared of rats you are you are really you're my hero i thought for sure i'd be his hero because you know me i'm not frightened of rats at all not two-legged rats so four-legged rats and yet the stats are in this shows you that this mayor just there's no follow-through he spent a lot of time talking about rats He's obsessed with eliminating rats for a variety of reasons, which is a good thing. You don't want rats running around, you know, ruling the night and ruling the day. He spent mega millions of dollars. You look at the budget, mega millions of dollars. He now has a a department of ratology with the rat czarina for $155,000. The results after one year, we got 8% more rats. Yeah, and eight percent more rats. And and one of the places of of particular note. So this is in East Harlem. This was one of the four designated areas. Uh, what he called was rat mitigation zones, like the worst areas that he was putting the majority of the money into. So the money would was going into rat prevention training. I've actually been to one of those workshops, so I can tell you it doesn't really offer a lot of insight. Um, and beefed up enforcement. So this is for people, um, you know, if they have any complaints, they're going to double down on prosecuting them or giving them tickets. And then obviously that's going to hopefully lead to them, you know, sort of uh, cleaning up their act and not uh, being recidivist again with this. But they've had 1,517 calls in the past year. That's a 76% increase. This is East Harlem. Yeah, so forget about the 8% citywide, which is bad enough, It's but 76% in an area that specifically was targeted with more money and more funding to address this issue. Well, last year at his State of the City address in Flushing Meadow Park, uh, he had this to say. He actually prioritized this out of the many problems we have in the city. He wanted everybody to know he was going to launch a war on rats. And he wanted everybody to know who would not be the czar. If he says he would be my rat czar for free, uh, I'm going to call him and I would like for him to come on board to do it. Don't put it out there if you're not willing to uh, live up to it. If you're going to write a check, make sure you can cash it. Boy, he's always interested in people writing checks to him. That's what got him into trouble with all these Turkish contributors. So I did make the offer. To be the rats are at no cost to the city because I'm nocturnal and I know all about rats. We actually went to his house. He he owns a townhouse on Lafayette Avenue in Bed-Stuy that has had a serious rat problem. The whole neighborhood there is one of those mitigation areas, one of the four. He welcomed the help. We brought Batman and Robin, the two feral cats. We were going to leave them there. You know, we were we were customizing them to his front yard there, which is where you could see where the rats were gaining entrance. You saw that. They were burrowing right into mm-hmm. the basement that he had originally claimed that he lived in, but he really never did. And then after we cleaned up the whole area and we checked the whole area and we met with neighbors and we said, well, this is what you got to do. This because we know how to eliminate rats. He called me up on the phone. Get the F off my property, man. Because he saw that we were starting to organize the neighbors. He would have benefited from this. Instead of always getting tickets for rats, he's still to this day getting tickets for having rats running through his property. And, and what makes it it's so bad that it's uh, the increase in East Harlem. This is one of the three locations where the city does have uh, the shelter in East Harlem. 
So they're taking cats from throughout New York City, um, and including the ones who are already living outdoors, the ones who are ear-tipped, the ones who've been fixed and are accustomed to being out there, and bringing them into the shelter, locking them in the shelter, when if they just set them up outside in that neighborhood, they could actually address this problem. That's what's so pathetic. And you and I, we've spent time on 116th Street in East Harlem. There's this one huge development of senior citizens, mostly Puerto Rican men and women. Outside, they had a number of the cat houses where people make a house so in inclement weather, the cats can stay in there and with their own body body, uh, warmth, stay warm and warm up the other cats and stay out of the inclement weather. And the community was taking care of the cats. And remember, we were called in there because a developer was trying to get rid of the cats, which eliminated the rats. Yeah, I mean, and again, and this is such a vibrant community of volunteers. So this happens consistent, uh, consistently throughout New York City. People uh, do all of the legwork. They take the time to bring the cats to the vet, to trap them, to spay and neuter them. Then they're setting up the housing for them. They're getting them their shots. They're going there on a daily basis to feed them, take care of them. They're doing everything you need. I mean, you know, in a city that has a budget problem, and you have volunteers putting forward their time and their money to do this, to address a problem that's going on, and you're not only not helping them, but you're working against their efforts. That is, again, that's really where you need to start focusing your efforts. You already have a solution to help this, and you're looking the other way and, and hurting these people who are doing this. These elderly, senior citizen Puerto Rican women were caring for these federal, feral cats. A developer wanted the cats removed. By any means necessary, gas them, poison them, take them away, put them in the shelter. He didn't care. He just wanted those cats removed. He would not listen to the people who were saying, hey, look, we got a rat problem up here in East Problem, which is obvious according to these stats. It's got the worst rat problem in the city. He didn't care. See, that's where the city could have intervened and said, hey, I know you got to develop. We want development. We need more affordable housing. We need commercial development. Well, and, and, and therein lies the thing, right? So you have all of the ability, you have the um, upper hand to incentivize these people and to mandate this, right? So wh- one of the biggest initiatives going through, they say, oh, green initiative. You want everything. You don't want to have chemicals. You don't want to have poisons. You don't want to have pesticides. Okay, so this is how you loop it in and mandate that when, they, when they're doing the development because of the fact that it's going to be unearthing the ground and creating more of a rodent issue, you have to allow any pre-existing colonies to be maintained, and you can't fight that. So that's where the city can come in and mandate that for the exact reason. It's going to cause this. Exactly, and it's Very good simple. for the developer. Yeah, exactly. And, they don't, and usually they just don't know it. it. It requires the explanation. So they have no idea what's going on and how it's helping them. And once it's explained to them, that's how quickly they you know, roll over with And it. look at what happened. Now East Harlem has the worst rat problem. The worst. We try to help. The city was uh, opposed to what we are doing, which is proposing that you use the feral cats. It's it's not the only answer, but it's one of the answers. Perfect example. Let's go to the largest public housing project in the United States. It is underneath the Queensboro, call it 59th Street Bridge, call it the Ed Koch Bridge. Why the hell that bridge has three names, I'll never figure it out. And underneath that 59th Street Bridge, the Ed Koch Bridge, is the country's biggest public housing project, Queens Bridge, which is actually so big it has two sections. I've actually patrolled there before with the Guardian Angels. We've had the Junior Guardian Angels housed there for the development. We know the people there. Recently, we were called in. Because NYCHA, the New York City Housing Authority, was again, and they've done this on and off, they were sealing up the entrances for cats who were housing themselves in the basement areas. I've actually looked in when the holes were open. It's a dirt floor. So you would think a NYCHA project has dirt floors. That just shows you uh, how it's in such a lack of repair, but it does. And so the cats, the feral cats would go inside. They'd be protected from the elements. But because there are rats and mice in any kind of a NYCHA development, the rats and the mice had really nowhere to begin 
multiplying as they can do rapidly because the cats ruled the project, that particular project building from the basement. And so what did they start doing? They started getting cinder blocks with cement, closing the holes, putting uh, iron gates over it. And I remember I was there with a bunch of guardian angels when they were being forced to take the gates off. But it seems to be like it's back and forth. There is a whole group of people out there who care for these federal feral cats to maintain them so that they can continue to help the people in the projects doing rat mitigation. And it just ends up being a battle all the time. Well, the cats are actually helping the people in the projects. The people in the projects love the cats, but it's the NYCHA officials that are insensitive to the fact that the poisons aren't eliminating the rats. The uh, They use dry ice. They try to put it in the layers. That's not eliminating the rats. The traps are not eliminating the rats. The glue traps are not eliminating the rats. The only thing that keeps the rat population and rodent population at bay, the mice population, is the feral cats. Yeah, and I would encourage anyone um, listening to uh, you know to look and find this group Astoria Cat Rescue on Facebook because they have all of the contact information in terms of who you know they're requesting specifically. You get in touch with and you make these calls because now again, so this is the group that actually TNR you know fixed the cats and they care for them consistently. So the you know the volunteers they go to um, you know outside of these uh, several locations there. And, you know, to your point, it's like back and forth for months and consistently having to try and talk to someone at night. You're, okay, you're talking to the super. Okay, no, now you have to talk to the manager. No, now you have to talk to this person. Call your local council member. Oh, call the city. I mean, this is what keeps happening. You get the runaround because there's not one single person to really come in. They're always – the cats who live outdoors are always going to be, unless it's your personal property, are always going to be viewed as trespassers somehow. But the city acknowledges them. The city acknowledges through local laws that this is the best way to maintain the population. So, again, this is where the city needs to come in and actually do the final step, which is helping these people protect these cats. The NYCHA policy of, of um, you know, sort of sealing this area up, sadly, is pest control for the cats. They're trying to eliminate the cats from the area. Not This isn't a rat issue. They're trying to make sure, oh, we think the cats are the pests. So this is the the total lack of understanding and logic and the breakdown that happens with people who are, you know, trying to do the right thing and they're dealing with people who have no idea how this works. Well, very interesting. Uh, as I walked around and people know me there because we've had a presence there for years, but some of the younger guys and gals had nothing negative to say about the cats when I talked to them because their mothers or their grandmothers had told them the importance of the cat. Because typically young people, you know, oh, they're a pain in the neck, you know. Oh. No, everybody loves the feral cats here. They all recognize that the feral cats are providing a service that the poisons haven't done. Uh, the individuals who come, you know, you can see the tank containers on their back. And then they come in because they're going to uh, try to kill, you know, kill the, the rats, the mice, the rodents. Uh, and that's not working. The dry ice in their lairs is not working. All these things are not working except for the feral cats. And NYCHA, the city housing authority, at times understands it. And then at other times, I guess because a different director finds out about it, no, seal up those holes. Uh, don't provide a place for those cats to live and stay. And then the people, as you mentioned, that group has to go out make houses for them then come by and feed them, take care of them. They have to live outdoors instead of being able to just go into the basement, stay there during inclement weather. And this way it doesn't become a place where the rats and the mice can just continue to procreate. And where you have 10, you now have 100. 100, you have 1,000. That's how easily they multiply. And, again, and, this, is, and this is what um, you know, is the elements and the positive of having a managed colony. The cats are fixed. So now they're not going to have, um, you know, constantly having kittens. So the kittens, that you're not going to be going to the shelter. They're healthier cats. And again, it's it, the idea of, you know, coming home to your home. Same way if you have a pet. You love to visit with your cat. The reason people love bodega cats. You like to go there. Oh, you, you're accustomed to the cat. I mean, you come home in your environment. You're used to seeing these cats who, you know, they're regulars. They're like your pet. They just happen to live outdoors. I think there is a... 
a nice element of that being part of your home when you when you know you get home. Oh, I'm going to be seeing this cat, you know, around the corner. As soon as I get there, they're like greeting you. So, you know, I think that's where the community love comes for them. Well, speaking of exterminators who use pesticides, there's a story coming out of Florida, and I've seen this all over the country in rural areas, suburban areas, and uh, urban areas. Neighbors begin disputing over their what their their property rights are. That's why fences make for good neighbors. And sometimes somebody's pets stray on to the neighbor's property, and it bothers the neighbor. Okay, you have to respect the neighbor's rights. But oftentimes the neighbors get so bent out of shape that they take matters into their own hands and they'll put out pesticides and they'll put out poisons and they'll kill the dogs and the cats. And then when they're approached, because everybody knows that they hated those animals, they say, no, it wasn't me. And it's almost impossible to trace it to them. I've heard of these cases taking place hundreds of times when neighbors are angry at one another because, you know, pets will sometimes uh, get loose and go on other people's property. And then all of a sudden that neighbor becomes obsessed. I'm going to kill those pets. And they put pesticide out and poisons. And it's a horrible death. And then when they're approached, even when they're approached by the police or the local ASPCA or government officials, they'll say, it wasn't me. And it's very difficult to trace the poison to them. Yeah, so um, in this instance, so now this was in Florida, and it was, believe it or not, a nurse who, uh, you know, is being charged with this crime. And the neighbor has cats, uh, also had a little chihuahua dog. And clearly, you know, they were getting into this neighbor's yard. So I'm sure there was words that, you know, so now you have a bad relationship with the neighbor and, oh, you know, keep your animals out of my property. Or if they ever come on again, you know, I'm going to hurt them. Well, she did. She wound up um, getting poison, like a pesticide poison, and putting it into uh, food and then bringing it out to them while they were in her yard. So, again, very intentional act. Now, obviously, as the pet owners, you know, once you start getting threats like that, you know, you, you would like people to be more responsible and really be looking out for the safety of their pets if you know that you're dealing with a neighbor who could potentially hurt them. But... Again, I don't think anyone ever thinks it would get this far. And the way she got caught, believe it or not, was the video camera, security camera on her own property was subpoenaed by the cops. And they saw her with, uh, you know, a glove on, bringing the food out to these animals. So her own video camera got her in trouble. Yeah, and in fact, the Chihuahua was pregnant at the time. Yeah, and it had eight, um, eight puppies. So by the time, you know, the neighbors had realized that their two cats were having some clearly, um, you know, like convulsive actions foaming at the mouth. And then they started looking for their dog, very panicked. They couldn't find him. And then they found the dog. Uh, it was dead on the property. But because the dog was pregnant, you know, they rushed it right away. There was one puppy that was still alive but didn't make it. Uh, yeah, I mean, just a really tragic story overall. And she's being charged with felonies. I mean, she'll, she's in jail now. Good. Yeah. In Florida, they, they lock them up, they throw away the key. If that happened up here, boom, release. Imagine this, this lady's a nurse. I yeah. mean, that's. A, I mean, she takes care of you know patients. That's yeah. that's disturbing. Yeah, but yeah, you you know what would happen up here? She'd be given a desk appearance ticket, which we call a disappearance ticket. Oh, sure. it's just animals. Don't make a federal case out of it. Sure. Florida does so many things better. I mean, you violate a person's right, you go to jail. You violate an animal's right, you go to jail. Up here, they say, ah, no big thing. Did you kill them? Well, now we got to take it seriously. Oh, oh, they're alive? Ah, turn them loose. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Soon to be nationally syndicated from coast to coast in February by our parent company, Red Apple Media. Our owners and operators, John and Margot Katsimatidis and El Presidente, Chad Lopez. Let's go to the phones. It's Alona who's calling from Westchester. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour at WABC, Alona. Hi. Hi, Curtis. Uh, hi, Nancy. How are you? 
Good. So, so here's the thing. YouTube Shorts is continually paying people overseas and even in America to abuse and kill animals. They have, first of all, they have this one guy from India, and every day he has a video of, of a cow that looks like it hasn't eaten because maybe they starved it, and now they're getting money from YouTube to feed it. They, had a, they have a cow, they tie it up, throw it to the ground, and they're ready to cut the head off. Um, they have bulls fighting, so one dies. They they have videos of um, of like dogs fighting just to make money. It's 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 so disgusting. I, I like it's really it's so depressing. I, I get really depressed looking at it. And 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 I keep getting on YouTube, and they say speak what you want to speak. And I say these guys are throwing cows off trailers, you know, and then they're just you know ready to kill them, and they show that, and then they show live chickens, the feathers pulled. How can we stop this? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Alona, uh, if you can uh, get Alona's information here, make sure you write it. Alona, that one video you mentioned coming from India, it is a crime to abuse a cow in India. It's a predominantly Hindu country. It's got Muslims. Uh, They don't look at it the same way. But the Hindus, they relish cows. I know when I was there... A cow could be in the middle of the road. All traffic stops. Nobody tries to move the cow. The cow is considered sacred. So we might be able to track that. India actually has a number of great videos about animal rescues that you've shown me, Nancy, how they have groups there that take especially dogs that are almost dead that you can see have been abused. And then they show you how months later, the dog is back because they've taken a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of patience, a lot of medical care to rescue those animals. Yeah, there, there's um, one organization that I that I watch a lot of their their footage on, and you know, again, because there's so many animals in need. Obviously, it's a it's a tough country for a lot of you know people too. But um, you know, the animals are you know oftentimes just found along the sides of the roads. You know, there's a lot of uh, you know, uh, populations that are just living outdoors and the place they bring them to the, you know, the, <clears throat> it's not like, you know, a sterilized facility. I mean, you see, it's like, it's a dirt area. They do the best they can, but really I think that's a lot of what you really need. You know, you don't need the fancy facilities, but what you need is you need to have a teams of people. You need to have, um, you know, camaraderie. You need to have people who are going to be there to help socialize them, make sure they're getting their medication. But really just bringing them indoors and giving them basic care so they don't have to live with the harsh realities on the street because, you know, once an injury happens, that could be the end for them. So, yeah, you know, thankfully there's people out there doing good things, but it can get overwhelming, and that's why, you know, when you see things like that, you always have to remember there are a lot of people out there doing good things. Yeah, I think if you can get a chance to watch those animal rescue videos, you know who at WABC is hooked on those now? (laughs) Rudy Giuliani. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Because he goes home at night before he goes to sleep. He says he watches all of these animal rescue movies. I said, I bet you they're the ones from India. Because, yeah, yeah, you see them rescuing uh, uh, dogs that are almost dead. And then over a period of months, being able to medically treat them, deal with their psychological wounds because they've been abused. And then all of a sudden, you, you don't even recognize that's the same animal. But it takes a long time and a lot of care. And uh, obviously, the people who do that, they need some resource because, you know, the government in India is not giving them any resource. That's for sure. Anyway, let's go, if we can, to uh, Sal, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Sal. Hey, Curtis, Nancy. Happy New Year. Blessing of the Christ, baby, on you guys. Keep up the great work. I do want to bring a couple of things to your attention, some shout-outs. Dr. Lisa Esposito and Dr. Powell at Richmond Valley Animal Practice. He's there 10 years. She's there 25. It's their 51st year. Best care on Staten Island. And let's remember, info at pawsofwar.org out in Long Island. They help American veterans, and they help their service animals. Their coffins are bare. We need to support info at pawsofwar.org. American veteran service animals and pets are our family, and they make a difference. Info at pawsofwar.org. Let's help them every way we can, and let's bring an end to the 
66% of the homeless men and women, American veterans, God help them, and 13,000 American veteran suicides, two every hour. Let's bring an end to that. With the grace of Christ, let's stop the $6 million dogs and cats murdered every year. Let's keep the rat population down by voting Eric Adams and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Paloa. She's out. Uh, and- uh, you're right. You're right. Uh, by the way, uh, he's right in terms of service animals for veterans, uh, for homeless people, uh, for people who are in prisons. I know you say, what? You're going to do that for people in prisons? There are programs in Chile for prisoners that have helped calm them down and normalize them in a prison system that's a hell of a lot worse than ours. And which they make available, I think, to every prisoner, if they'd like, to have a cat of their own. Yeah, I mean, I think they it started um, years ago where they brought the cats in really to do rodent and rat control. And because they're internally and, you know, they... They hadn't spayed and neutered them. The population of the cats grew, and they wound up letting the prisoners just maintain the population. They found, obviously, a lot of, um, you know, surprising things, but, you know, what you would sort of, I think, probably in many ways expect to find is, like, they grew bonds with these cats. They take care of them. Uh, You know, they share their foods with them. It's it's almost like um, socially, if you're trying to uh, fix people up while they're in prison because you're recognizing that they're going to go back out into society, you want to have as many normal things, as many caring opportunities as they can get. And what they're realizing is these people are having an opportunity to care for and love a living creature, and this is really helping with their socialization. So when they come out, they are going to be a little bit more adjusted to society. Well, having been locked up in a few jails in my lifetime, lots of rats, lots of mice, especially when lights go out and you got to hit your bunk, whether you're in a dormitory or you're in a cell, you hear the rats and you hear the mice. Now, you get some real big, tough guys that you're locked up with. They see a rat, they, like, freak out. It's little mice, little mice. You know, like, they think of it as not Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse. It's this big, tough guy threatening, I'll break you in half. And then he sees a little mouse running around. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the one thing you're guaranteed to see in jail. You see a lot of things in jail. But when they turn the lights off and it's time to uh, get a few Z's before they get you up at like 5 in the morning, when the rats and the mice see that the lights have been turned out, they're out in force. The older the jail, the more rats and mice there are. And this is one of the... Um, the most populated and dangerous uh, prisons that they have. It overcrowded as well. And they've actually allowed uh, local organizations to come in who are spaying and neutering and taking care of the cats. Like, they even realize the importance of that concept and that element in this environment. I mean, in one of the worst prisons, they're, they're acknowledging that. Let's go if we can to Bruce in Woodbridge. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bruce. Curtis, I'm from Woodbridge, the home of the Rio Diner. You remember it. And the former home of your mentor, Bob Grant, who frequently ate at the Rio. Oh, yeah, and we'd have live broadcasts there. Live place was packed, hundreds and hundreds of people. Curtis, when you see John and his wife, I spoke to the owner, another Greek. Let's see if we can broadcast again from the Rio Diner, the heart of New Jersey. You're right, Bruce. I will promise you we rarely, if ever, do remotes anymore. But in honor of my mentor, Bob Grant, uh, because without him, I could never have been in talk radio. I'm at it 35 years. Maybe we can do it uh, within the time frame of my uh, birthday, Nancy. We do a live remote. Twenty six. That's my wife's birthday, also. Wow! At the Rio Diner, Teddy uh, the, the Caucus, I think. I think that was his name. The owners and his Baracus, 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 and their their family, great family. And boy, when uh, Bob Grant would do a live remote there, you had to have people coming in different shifts because he would do like yes. a four hour show. It was so packed. Uh-huh. 
you had the Woodbridge Police Department say, oh, ladies and gentlemen, we got to shift out now. We got thousands of people out here waiting waiting to come in the dining. You're so right. We're going to do that, Bruce. I promise you. I had coffee one night with Bob Grant. He loved the cheesecake, as you remember. Oh, yeah. Now, who comes, who comes into the Rio? The governor's father, Jack McGreevy. Yep. He loved Jack, but he did not like his son's liberal politics in New Jersey. Who was the mayor of Woodbridge. And he became governor. That's right. I'm telling you, we're going to make this happen, Bruce. I like this idea. You got to do that to honor your roots. I would never, ever have ever been in talk radio without Bob Grant, the king of talk radio, because all the suits at the old WABC, ah, he's a street urchin, ah, Bob Grant, he had such huge ratings and such a big effect on talk radio, said, you got to have Curtis Lee. He knows where all the bones are buried and who buried them. Let's go to Russ in White Plains. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Russ. Hi, thanks, uh, Curtis. Nancy mentioned rat prevention training, and flat on her face, Brewer President Gail Brewer had a rat task force about 10 years, which 10 years ago did nothing. But they did mention birth control being put in rat food, like saltpeter for your friends out, your Randy friends out in Canarsie. So I'd like to ask you, why can't birth control be put in rat food? Because poisoned rats are bad for feral cats. And the second thing is, you know, Scott Stringer never lost a cent in eight years as comptroller, and I understand that he's considering recruiting Nancy to be the director of Animal Control Center under a Stringer administration. What would Nancy do to reform that place. And I know she's cool under fire. She could handle tigers, alligators, rats, anything. Thank you, Curtis. Oh, wow. Okay, so, yeah, in terms of the, the city shelter itself, first of all, I think it's the management company is the problem. So you have animal care and control. They're the ones who have the contract, and they're the ones who are just <clears throat> completely inept. So what I would do is I would suggest having um, – current nonprofit successful animal organizations throughout the city, throughout the state, who have a proven track record, I would sort of tap into them for in terms of the management because you already have the facilities, you have the budget. Um, some of the things that they went into when they reviewed the, like why it was such a failure, are the things that aren't being done. You know, there's not aggressive adoption being done. This is why the animals get euthanized, you know, or they're languishing in the shelters. They also don't do a lot of aggressive fundraising. They just rely on the city stipend that they get, which is, I mean, it's certainly enough, but I mean, but they don't, they don't run with it. They don't really have any um, sort of fundraising. So there's a couple of things that I would do in terms of that. And, and remember, uh, Scott Stringer, who's trying to make a political comeback, uh, issued when he was the city controller a scathing report against animal care and control, their mismanagement of the monies they receive, the fact that here they gather millions of tax dollars from we, the city taxpayers, and they end up uh, committing unneeded killings of dogs, cats, and other animals, which are just completely unnecessary. Yeah, and he and also brought up in that report how there's a 100% infection rate. So every time the animal is brought into the shelter, if they weren't sick before, they're going to get sick. So it just speaks of the lack of care at these facilities. Now, in terms of the rat birth control, that was done um, as a pilot program in Bryant Park. The problem with that was they only did it for a several-month time period. So they said, well, at the end of it, there's a couple less rats, but it really wasn't as successful as we like to be. It's not going to be successful in a short period of time when you're doing it, especially in a place that's uh, completely encircled by places that aren't doing that same exact plan of action. So if they allow it to go to fruition, it can be successful. They just haven't done that yet. I think the problem there was they were trying, they were experimenting with rat condoms. <laughs> Didn't work. You know, imagine trying to put a, a rubber, a condom on a rat yeah i think it was just really the outreach in that one yes anyway let's go to uh johnny who's calling from long island your turn to be heard here on the animal welfare hour here at wabc hey carson nancy years ago i went to uh, india and i was amazed the amount of stray animals around injured dogs it was an incredible thing to see and I was really, really sick to see this stuff, this going on, puppies, everything you can imagine, injured, so forth. I was even thinking, 
can you, is there kind of any kind of thing you, you can create, like a world organization of veterinarians to travel, you know, on free time and donate some time and travel to these hotspots and try to capture these animals and neuter them, you know, at a very big capacity, you know, and just travel where they be with these hotspots of animals they be. Is something like that in the efforts, anything thought, thought of that way, like a world organization for animal control or something like that or animal health or something like that? Well, you know, that's, that's interesting. You have Doctors Without Borders. Why not, Nancy, if you could write that down, let's see if we could put that down. Veterinarians Without Borders. He's right about that. I mean, you think of all the people in India. India now the most populated uh, country in the world. Uh, they have so many animals who are uh, just malnourished, uh, ravaged uh, by fleas, by lice. Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent idea. Yeah, I mean, periodically there there are some of these um, like mass um, spay neuter undertakings uh, where they do go into you know certain countries, cer- certain areas to to try and do that. But again, I think there's there's a little bit of a twofold problem. Number one, you have to keep it up. Um, they just don't have a lot of the <clears throat> sort of um, uh, organic uh, facilities and veterinarian services. And then there there is a little bit of a hurdle, believe it or not, in other countries even convincing people to fix animals because there's a, a surprising amount of people who don't realize the importance of it and think it's no big deal and think you're hurting the animal by fixing them. That's a psychological hurdle that you have to overcome, believe it or not, with a lot of people. Well, one thing we know, and you've said it often, if you declaw your cat, you're hurting your cat. Uh, there are some states that have banned declawing, and there are other states that won't even consider it. And we know of people who have actually done that and regretted doing it because, okay, they thought, wow, that'll spare my furniture from getting scratched or destroyed. And so immediately it was recommended them to declaw the cat. Could you explain the alternatives and the suffering that the cats go through once they're declawed? Well, I mean, and again, right, so it, it's more of a personality um, issue than it is anything else. So people, when they declaw, they think a physical issue. Oh, I'm just getting rid of that. The cats have a natural tendency to, uh, you know, stretch and to want to maintain their claw length, which is why you get things like scratching posts for them, different items that are heavy and have an ability for them to grip on and sort of take care of that very natural need that they have. Uh, the problem with the declawing it, you know, it, it was it was uh, promoted a lot, and now you know not so much. You don't really see too many vets who are even willing to do it. It's in New York, it's actually outlawed, but people will go to other states to do it. Believe it or not, for that reason, and what it is, it's like you're you're ta- it's like you're hitting it below the knuckle. So imagine it's not even removing just the the uh, the nail part; it's going below the knuckle. So then, what happens is you have a lot of cats who then develop uh, secondary issues, arthritis. And it, and it gets to the point where it becomes painful for them to even walk. So then cats sometimes will stop using litter boxes eventually because the litter is hurting them. So now an owner is thinking, oh, my cat is having trouble using the litter box. They're going outside. That's a health issue. That's it. Like they're not realizing the causal relationship between what they did and why they won't use a litter box anymore. So there's a lot of reasons to really, you know, not do that. Let's go to James calling all the way from Vancouver, Canada. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour, James. Uh, Yes, there is a conflict between some cultures and cats. I have found in uh, where I live here that certain cultures uh, do not appreciate my Maine Coon, and I've had to deal with that directly. So uh, this is an issue, I think, that... uh, is always going to be around, but uh, declawing of cats, that's unconscionable. I would never do that, not even dream of it. Um, thanks for taking my call. No, you got it, James. Uh, let's go to Sandra calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Sandra. Oh, Nancy and uh, Curtis, I spoke to your husband the other night, and I expressed an interest in helping you um, get that uh situation going where you get the rescue dogs and you put them in together with the puppies in the pet stores and I would be very interested in helping you with that. I'm very good in recruiting. I'm very good at calling places such as these pet stores and maybe I I don't know if you spoke about this earlier tonight. I just turned it on and I'm sorry I missed your show but I came in on the tail end. Did you talk about it tonight at all? Yes, briefly, but Sandra, what we'll do is we'll have Tony get your information. Nancy will follow up with you. 
Uh, and again, uh, that is the idea that uh, Nancy has come up with, that uh, John Katsimatidis and Margo Katsimatidis were very interested in. We talked about it when we welcomed in the new year with them here at WABC when the ball, right before the ball was dropping, about taking some of these empty storefronts, especially on these main drags, Lexington and Madison, which are like one out of every four storefronts is empty. Some of them are the full length of the block. And getting them to allow Nancy and others to put unwanted dogs and cats in there, care for them, and people would want to come by and say, oh, is that that cat available? Is that dog available? And it would be at almost no cost compared to what happens now where we spend millions to animal care and control, and in many instances, they end up destroying or euthanizing those same animals. Yeah, I mean, and again, like the the point of having uh, more exposure for these animals, uh, the adoption events, the public adoption events, they're too far and few between. You know, you don't get the the type of time that you need to have if, if people miss the day, you're in one area, you know, like it's just not enough accessibility. You need these stationary locations and ones where people can see them. I mean, that's the biggest thing. You have to have people be able to see them. It's not enough to warehouse them and think that people are going to, you know, be incentivized enough to come in. You really have to go further than that. And in fact, uh, they have signed a contract to build a facility up in the Bronx, I believe, because we only have three animal care and control shelters, one in East New York on Linden Boulevard, very dangerous neighborhood, uh, East Harlem, dangerous area, and the other one so far in the South Shore, Staten Island, as part of a mall, it's like you might as well be in a shoebox. And so what was? how long is the contract? I think it was, what, 30 years yeah, it was 34 years. This was like a couple years ago this was signed. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm still uh, sort of banking on the fact that we're going to get out of this contract. Um, we're not going to – I mean, again, I have no idea how they continue going with an unsuccessful company. But, um, you know, again, I'm hopeful now to your point, the one that's supposed to be built in the Bronx. That's been a few years in the making, and it's sort of a – um, a combination facility. There was a few other things that they worked into there, so it's not even exclusively just an animal but shelter. It, 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 it's it's mind boggling. A yeah. thirty six year yeah unbelievable contract. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. So, Nancy, how can people get in touch with you if they need more information? Uh, they can visit guardianangels.org or uh, DM me on Twitter, Nancy Sliwa ESQ. Oh, man. And up next, he's going to end up singing karaoke. Really? Dominic Carter. Spare it. You sing it in your shower stalls. The karaoke man himself, Dominic, I can't carry a tune, Carter. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.